I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Encarta. I run hip hop by the numbers on Twitter. I use hip hop statistics to highlight the big picture. And I enjoy to the fifth element while I highlight the fifth element of hip hop, which is knowledge. And I didn't need the script for that this time. Hmm. Digging superstar. That is what you are. Coming from afar. Oh, okay. I forgot this bit. Come away with me. To another place. We can rely on each other. Uh-uh. This is why I'm not single because I tried to do that in one breath and then like, that's pretty <laughs> now good, I just man. feel like I feel that's the end of the podcast, guys. That's, that's, that's Charlie, Charlie, with the falsetto, just a bit of <laughs> 80s, oh. 90s R&B right there. It's beautiful. Hey, man, get me to sing uh, Smokey Robinson's Cruising and you will float. Trust me on that. Hi, Ben. How's your week been? And what 70s, ta- late 80s... Uh, R&B song do you sing in the shower? Uh, I just sing Erica Badu in the showers. Is what I think. Erica Badu, good shout, good shout, good shout. This week, man, this week got into a lot of new music. Um, how many albums we got? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I actually got into a few non-hip-hop albums at the end I'll talk about. But firstly, uh, Amadeus 360, the MPC Jedi. So Amadeus 360 came up in the 1990s alongside Kid Capri and his resume Kid thus far... Capri is as eclectic as he goes from cool g rap to paul wall you know this is how much it's all over the spectrum uh, amadeus 360 produces so this has obviously afforded him the opportunity to amass kind of the 1990s new york mvp list on this record we've got mop sticky fingers master ace buckshot tragedy Gaddafi. then you got rascas as well um it's unbelievable man the the feature list is like 90s who who and there's a few contemporary artists on here there's a few artists from the uh from the new school as well um getting a sticky fingers solo song in 2023 is exactly is a beautiful thing it is a beautiful thing and i had i've listened to this maybe three times through now enjoy it a lot man i really enjoy the beats are crisp they uh they certainly sound 90s but they sound updated a little bit as well and you know, everyone on here skates. Everyone on here has something interesting to say. It has that old school mixtape feel about it, like a DJ Clue tape where people try and prove themselves. You know, people coming back on here and they're trying to prove their skills as an MC into their 40s and 50s. And that's a niche that's not often filled at the moment. You know, there aren't too many. I think, you know, Case Slay before he passed away was doing a couple of these kind of things where he was bringing on legends from the 80s and 90s and uh, giving them an opportunity to talk about where they're at now in the present day. And I'm always down for that, man. I'm always down for that. So shout out Amadeus 360. It's a solid record. Uh, Clown Cat and Unruly drop Don't Go Outside. And, you know, I say this every time Clown Cat drops something, but his production is just, it's, it's very diverse. It's going in so many different directions at this point, and he's, he's leveling up. So I'm always interested to see, especially when he's doing an entire project, how he's curating that and what sound he's going for. Um, and Unruly is a very incendiary MC on top of it. So yeah, shout out. That was that was a solid tape. I enjoyed that. Deontay Hitchcock dropped Once Upon a Time. 
It's solid, man. It's really, really solid. It's another one of these albums where the artist is just showing his wide-ranging versatility. And I'm, I'm feeling like, you know, it's almost like this, this level below mainstream ubiquity. And they're putting out albums that are like genuine experiences. You know, these are all over the place. These records are going in so many different directions. I think IDK is the king of it at the moment. But definitely, uh, I didn't I didn't know what to expect from a John T. Hitchcock album. But this is pretty much what I'd expect if I if I could have articulated what what it was. It's just all over the place. There's rapping. There's some singing on here. There's some slow jams. There's some bangers. It's just it's it's solid, man. It's a super solid record. Um, Vado dropped a new album called A Good Friend, and I saw Jay Mills on the track list. I was like, what? Oh my gosh, Jay Mills. I forgot about Jay Mills. So I went straight to that song. And uh, yeah, this album is a sleeper, man. It's just very boring. It's not for me at all. I didn't enjoy it, um, which is a bit disappointing because I do like Vado quite a lot. And I was kind of expecting to get that like mid-2000s energy. But yeah, we didn't get that. It was just, uh, I don't know. It, was, it, was, it wasn't my favorite tape of the week. Um, and we get into non-hip-hop. We got Beach House. They dropped an EP a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's called Become. Yeah, it's, it's good. There's, uh, I think the second or the third track just sounds like a straight throwback to their very, very early stuff. Uh, it's interesting to watch them develop and go and see where they're going because obviously when they started, there was a lot of vocals and a lot of uh, emphasis on the lyrics, I feel. And then when they moved through, you know, maybe like Bloom and, and Depression Cherry, I felt like the vocals were, the, the lyrics were less important. And I definitely feel like this is a return to them focusing on telling a story through the lyrics rather than creating some sort of cinematic experience through the the production and, and the wall of noise that you get with the Beach House album. So this felt a lot more like, you know, they're shoegaze. They're shoegaze band, they're a dream pop band, uh, but they're, they're also an indie band as well. And they, they definitely have that flavor and that side to them. And this felt like them heading back towards that. And I enjoyed it a lot. I really did. The National dropped a new album. And uh, I saw Fantano's review where he just like felt was asleep the entire time. Like he just spent nine minutes on camera sleeping. And I love The National. I, I adore them. I'm like, there's no way. There's no way this is going to be bad. Like it might be, you know, a bit boring, but it's not going to be bad. I think Fantana was wrong to sleep during that review because the album is so bad. It's not sleepy. It's not boring. It's intolerable. It's it's like they try to do an album that Matchbox 20 would have made in 2010. Just like the most pop rock trash. I don't know what's going on here. It's just unlistable. Uh, it's sad, sad. So anyway, sorry to the national, but geez, man, this it's that's, that's a rough listen. And finally, Fred again and Brian Eno linked up, uh, which was not what I expected to happen. And I had no idea what this was going to be. You know, I, I adore Brian Eno, and I have not really tapped into Fred again. Um, but yeah, man, this was brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. If, when I first listened to it, so it's quite um, the 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 instrumentals and the the sonic palette is definitely more Brian Eno than Fred again. So you know very ambient uh the song structures are kind of blitzed and like pulled apart and elongated and um fred again i assume is on vocal duty you know in charge of the vocals getting the vocalists you know figuring out what they're going to say etc etc and uh, yeah at first i was like man these lyrics are cringe i'm not enjoying this at all but as the album progressed and the more i listened to it the more i got into the energy of it and it almost felt like 
it was funny because I was listening to it and I had the Metallica album at the top of the playlist and this was at the end of the playlist. I haven't spun the Metallica album yet. And I got to the end of this album and I was so in the zone. And then all of a sudden it went back to the start and started playing Metallica. And it felt like someone was trying to grate my ears with a cheese grater. I was like, oh, fuck, stop, stop. But this album reminds me a lot of uh, Lou Reed and Metallica's Lulu. Like, you know, obviously completely different sounds, but Lou Reed just kind of coming in and just like saying whatever he wanted, a stream of conscious thought. And that's what I felt like with this with this album. That's what I felt like Fred again brought to the table. And unexpected, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. So shout out Fred again and Brian Eno. So that was myself, Charlie. What about you? Uh, so yeah, I got into a couple of projects, um, including the Armadeus uh, 360. It's always fascinating when you just... Uh when you clock something like this and you're just like, oh, right, this dude's been here forever and this yeah. is the first time. Yeah. Just this first time I've uh, heard of him and it's just, yeah, so it's always it's always an interesting one thinking about that. But, um, yeah, man, I really respected that, really respected that project. Um, there was just a lot of, uh, I think, um, uh, production-wise, um, you know, uh, Gangster Boogie with that uh, just heavy... Uh, LL Cool J uh, sampling was outstanding. Really enjoyed that. Uh, world famous. Uh, I forget which one it was with uh, Craig G and Master Race. Oh, really yeah. Loved that one as well. That yeah. was a really top tier track. Yeah. Always love me some Master Race. Um, but yeah, man, really good project. Really, uh, really solid. I like the, um, yeah, really classic uh, vibes on that one. And obviously, just some, like you said, uh, uh, shout the sticky fingers on that particular track as well. That was, uh, that was some good shit. That was some good shit on there. Um, just, 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 it's still aggressive. You know what I mean? Just like, just the way you talk. Just, oh. Bro, you should have seen him live. Like, honestly, like he came out, and I, I didn't know anything about like what state Onyx were in at that point. And sticky fingers come out. He's got a big hoodie on. He's got his hood up, and he was kind of like. I said, like, is he is he okay? Like, he, he doesn't look like he's got heaps of energy. He looks like, you know... And then he just took the hoodie off, and he's got this singlet on, and he's, like, massive. He's huge. And then he just destroyed the show from there. Absolutely. Like, an hour and a half of the craziest energy I've ever seen. And I'm like, holy shit. Still fucking got it. And, yeah, man, this was this was it. Uh, yeah, very good. Um. So yeah, uh, the other project I got into uh, was an EP uh, by Cusco. Uh, yeah, I've said right, Cusco, uh, with the EP called I Vibe, She Vibes. Um, so I was given to, I was given this um, ahead of time. This is actually dropping on the twenty sixth of May. Um, so uh, you know, just a little bit of exclusive. I'm joking, it's not, but uh, you know, what I mean, it's just uh, yeah, I was given to it, and I and I asked for permission to talk about it. So here I am talking about it. Uh, but yeah, if you want to go spin, it's on the 26th of May. That's the release date for it. Um, but yeah, Cusco, um, she is a uh, Australian slash Maori th- synthesis vocalist and producer living and creating in Nam, which is uh, in White Circles, is Melbourne, uh, after growing up in the sunshine state of Mianjin, which is, for the again, for the white people, is Brisbane. Um, but yeah, she uh, is a session, session keyboardist, um, and uh, apparently a deeply revered figure on the Nam slash Mianjin scene. Um, but yeah, I listed this and uh, basically it's a bit of oomph, you know what I mean? you know, something like that. Um, really, really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. There's some really good stuff on here. Um, it's pretty sure it's like, uh, I think, four or five tracks. Um, 
but it comes it comes very nicely comes through really nicely um uh, i really you know get the opportunity to spin uh stuff like this because i just find (laughs) i just find the uh the dance slash electronic world just so vast i'm just like there's no point even attempting to keep up um so yeah when i'm given something like this you know what i mean it's it's always it's always nice to get something get something different um you know because you know, EDM was my first love at some point um, before before hip hop actually came into the frame. Um, really? Yeah. So yeah, 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 yeah. I think I said that before. I was yeah. listening to kind of like you know Dead Mouse before and Chasing Status and Drum and Bass and stuff like that before uh, before hip hop even became a thing for me. So uh, yeah, always appreciate um, stuff like this. And uh, yeah, man, if, uh, for those who want to get into the bit of oots, uh, shout out to Cusco on that front. And with that said, we shall hop in. Two, our topic for this episode, uh, which is <laughs> why are we do why are we doing pras? Hmm, uh, you know, just just thought about just just had pras on the mind. You know, we just thought about him, just like you know what, let's do let's do pras. Fuck it, like because you know, it's just one it's just one of those uh, random things you think about. Uh, pras, Michelle, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, we thought for no other reason uh, to just do uh, to just do a quick retrospective on pras. Um, you know, two albums, a bit light, you know what I mean? Nothing much going on past that, uh, I'm sure. Uh, but um, yeah, we're getting into Praz uh, for no other reason apart from his music, of course. Ben, what have you got for us? I'm sure we'll find some sort of narrative to discuss at some point about Praz. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm sure you'll squeeze something out of the stone. We'll, we'll go back to right to the start of, uh, of Praz, because obviously we spoke about Praz quite a lot in our Fuji's episode he's one third of the fujis he was always the glue in that group we spoke about who how influential he was in bringing lauren and wyclef together for example in our fujis retrospective now Praz met lauren at high school in new jersey and they formed a trio with uh, marcy harriel called time Praz and wyclef are cousins and wyclef is well documented in saying as soon as he saw lauren perform he knew she was going to be a star he was pretty much in from that point so wyclef came into the orbit uh, Marcy Harriel eventually left and that created the Fugees as we know it today. I feel like a lot of people grossly underestimate how essential Praz was to the Fugees. You know, Lauren and Wyclef gets most of the, I guess, you know, praise and plaudits through their musical genius, but Praz was a mastermind behind the whole formation of the group. He saw something in all three of them linking up. And from there, he went on to have production credit on all but two tracks of their first two albums. It was actually his idea to have Lauren sing Killing Me Softly over Benito Appelbaum beat as well. Um, and Jeff Weiss notes in his 2016 piece on the Fugees, without Praz's inspiration, it's unlikely the Fugees would have become the MTV darlings and global icons that they became, which is very high praise. And his background in alternative rock definitely shone through in the way he was able to cross the Fugees over into literally every market on the planet. And that background in alt-rock grew out of Praz being banned from listening to rap as a child. This pushed him towards other genres and he kind of landed on rock as the music to pull him through his formative years. He would apparently spend his afternoons sitting with the radio searching for rock music. So his early life was definitely not free from turmoil. He was born to Haitian parents who escaped the struggles of his home country um, and they would you know, come to America. but. Praz and his family would stay, you know, tapped into what was going on back home. And Haiti's difficulties actually reached Praz's family in New York. In the mid-1980s, one of his uncles was murdered by another of his uncles over political allegiances in Haiti. 
and Praz and his parents believed his uncle who committed the murder was working as a CIA asset. And they told Rolling Stone, that was, well, this is what Praz told. He said, that was his assignment, to kill my mother's brother. That's how it really got into politics. He shot him in the mouth down in Panama, Panama somewhere, which is very intense, very, very, very intense. So, you know, Praz grew up around this kind of incendiary situation but he also grew up around performers. When he was very young, he was taken out of his Newark public school and sent to live with an uncle in Maplewood so he could go to Columbia High School, which was very well known to be receptive to music and the arts. And Praz would take modern dance class and begin to build the Fugees from this very school. And he adapted this early vision for the Fugees from himself and two women to himself, Wyclef and Lauren Hill, which was a trio so fearsome with talent that one of the most talented MCs and producers of the 90s, Praz, was relegated to third place in the musical pecking order, or at least in the popularity pecking order. But this was entirely inconsequential to Praz. You know, when you hear him talk about it and talk about it in interviews, he wasn't concerned with this role, you know. He said that the most difficult part was playing peacemaker between his two fellow group members. He told this story to Billboard in 2014 about being stuck in the midst of such volatility. He said the group had disbanded, Lauren had left the group at this point and we didn't know what we were going to do. She calls me and says, listen, I'm going to come down the studio. I'm going to lay down a reference for you guys, a hook. I give you permission to use my hook, my voice, but I don't want to be part of this group anymore. Make sure certain people are not around when I'm there. I said, no problem. She lays the reference for ready or not. And then she goes into the bridge and she's crying. I see her crying. She stops and says, I can't do this anymore and leaves. This is years before they would officially break up. Praz was scrambling to keep them together, not knowing when it might all end. And that was the, you know, I think the difficulty for Fuji's around this time, obviously. That's why I say Praz was a glue, because he was the one holding them together. He was the one liaising with Wyclef and then liaising with Lauren and negotiating songs and coming up with ideas and producing. And, you know, there were times, as Lauren says right there, she didn't want Wyclef to be in the studio with while she was recording. So Praz had to do all that. So... You know, he was the glue, and when they went away and did their solo albums, I always felt like Ghetto Superstar, he was kind of like, well, I guess if I have to do it, I have to do it. But yeah, then we get Ghetto Superstar in 1998. Yeah, man. Um, the, just the, I think the, and this is this is my personal issue um, here, and the, and I guess the, I mean, Ben's already kind of uh, started it, Um and we did it uh, when we did the Fuji's retrospective, but um, there's there's a lot of necessary hate on Praz. I feel just a little bit like you know, if if you don't like the music, you don't like the music, right? It's fine. Yeah, you know I mean, there's 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 but there's worse music out here, guys. Let's be real. Like just just to like saying like oh, worst worst member of the Fuji's. I'm like, well, yeah, you're not wrong, but did you have to say it like that? Like. <laughs> He's like, so I say he's garbage. You know what I mean, it's it's like having a, it's like having a, a, a fucking three on three basketball team, at with like I don't know like, uh, LeBron, Steph, and KD, and then saying one of them's the worst one. It's like, well, not okay. You, you, you're wrong. You're not wrong, but why are you saying it like that? Because they're all, all three of them are good, right? They're decent, right? Um, but anyway, in this uh, in this. This is kind of just the thing I want to bring home um, with the music because there's a lot of other stuff to bring home after that. Um, it's fine. It's fine. It's good. Go Superstar is good, okay? Um, the song itself, obviously, 
that I sung. You bet in the mire, baby. Potentially. I mean, <laughs> I'm pretty sure you did. Like, I thought it was better Maya, than I'm coming for you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I had to do it to you, Maya. Sorry I had to do it to you. Um, but, you know, that's that's so, that is that song is so singed into my childhood brain. Like, the amount of times I heard that track as a youth was so often. It was a lot. I heard that a lot. Um, and, you know, past that, shit, man. Got some decent stuff on here. Blue Angels. Decent, uh, dirty cash was a nice little, uh, nice little. I think a uh, 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 production effort. I think um, the only thing I wasn't really into was just the first and last track, which well, not last, last, last track, but um, Hallelujah and Amazing Grace. I'm, I didn't, I, I've never heard the actual song Hallelujah fully until now. <laughs> okay, there was no reason for me to. There was no reason. There was no reason, but it's there. It's there for the concept and fine and amazing grace. Obviously, I mean I've heard that in funeral, so you know it's not, it's not something I haven't heard before. But um, yeah, I'm I'm cool not hearing it on an album. I'd rather not. Um, don't think it kind of um kind of kills the vibe for me. But it is what it is. Um, and then also obviously the phone interludes, which um <laughs> I skipped after the first one. I I I tasted the first one just to see what was going on because I was wondering why are they so long. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was just literally people phoning prize up for certain, for whatever, to give him praise or whatever. Shout out to Donald Trump to give prize praise, which is just amazing. Love that. It's such a wild thing to consider what then ended up happening, eh? (laughs) Out fucking standing. Um, just an amazing, uh, relic of, uh, of 1998 that just, uh, is begging to be, uh, studied when... Quincy Jones and Donald Trump on the same interlude. Um, but yeah, I didn't listen to the other two because I have stuff to do. Um, but yeah, man, I didn't mind this album. It's, it's decent. There's some good stuff all over here. There's some good uh, features. Um, yeah, I just, I, I, don't, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. Is it like, is it miseducation? No, but why are, we, why are we doing that? Why are we making those comparisons? I feel like we shouldn't. Um, it's a solid album. There's, you know, apart from the Hallelujah and Amazing Grace, um, I can kind of do without personally. It's fine. It's cool. I can't complain. I can't complain about the album. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I just think genuinely up against the carnival and miseducation. I just think that that's the way it was, man. I mean, yeah, and that's the thing. That's the thing I'm trying to bring home here. Like, stop comparing. <laughs> I get, I get why people are doing it. There's kind of no reason to. We all agree that it's not as good as those two. Like, uh, so what's so so? Let's broaden the conversation a bit. Let's like, yeah, it's just silly at that point. Yeah, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. And I think, you know, if you frame where Praz was at and how momentous the title track was in for him, uh, you know, this is '98, man. This is one of the greatest years in hip hop history. October twenty seventh, this came out. It's the last solo Fuji's album to drop. Wyclef's The Carnival in, in June 97. And you got to remember, that album set it off. It had six singles, including a top 10 on the Hot 100 with Gone Till November, uh, which charted worldwide. 80 review average, 52K first week. It's a certified classic album. Um, Wyclef produced the entire thing except, himself, except for a Salam Remy production on Bubble Goose. And Praz had one production on We Trying to Stay Alive. Then Lauren Miseducation, uh, you know, I don't need to read out the numbers. It's one of the greatest albums, all genres, 
ever released. It ran the charts, it ran the critics, it ran the year-end lists, and still to this day, it's almost mythically good. Poor old Praz, you know, he's got to come after both those albums. And he was the architect behind their biggest moment and arguably one of the biggest moments in musical history, which is Lauren singing Killing Me Softly, which charted number one in 22 countries. Wyclef's cousin actually told Complex this about Praz's involvement in the song. He said, we have to give Praz a big shout out. If I remember correctly, that song was the last record we did. Everybody was rapping, rapping, rapping. And we're like, hold up, man. We have to have a song on this shit. Praz came up and was like, yo, let's do a cover of Killing Me Softly. People in the studio were like, oh my God, now you're so soft doing the Killing Me Softly. It's kind of soft, guys. Come on, everybody's hardcore. Let's go. Lauren agreed to sing the song. We messed with the record a bit and made it hard. And, you know, that's Praz's influence right there. You could easily have argued at this point Praz was comfortable playing the back. You know, maybe people felt his debut album would be more in the vein of a RZA solo project. You know, someone who doesn't steal the show outwardly like Wyclef and Lauren, maybe someone who wouldn't be able to translate their hit-making ability to their own solo career, but it was wrong. You know, Praz was fully aware of the situation as well. He told Vlad back in 2016, coming off the carnival and all the drama with the Fugees, his goal was simply to create something rather than create another hit album. But it's definitely unspoken in the interview when you watch it. And Praz talks around it so much. It feels like he felt the pressure or maybe the opposite of the pressure. He felt a little bit forgotten or neglected after those two solo albums did what they did, almost as if he didn't have much of a chance to compete. In another interview from 2019, he shed some interesting light on his mindset. He said, when you're family, sometimes you have to just go your separate ways and do your own thing. And my impression from Praz, of Praz from these interviews and listening to him speak, and you know, this is just my impression. I don't, I don't know Praz personally, of course. He hasn't stated this anywhere that I can read it. But it, to me, it seems like Praz really loved the Fugees. You know, you have to remember this was his whole concept, his whole idea. Back in high school, he was the one who sold the vision of the Fugees to Lauren and Wyclef. And to see how toxic it became, um, you know, but also recognizing how brilliant their chemistry is and how influential and successful they were. His words in these interviews feel like someone hurt that didn't things didn't work out in the group, but also accepting of the fact and ready to move past it and progress. Now, I wouldn't say Ghetto Superstar came out under duress, but it doesn't shock me that it's the last debut solo album of the three. Maybe I'm reading a bit too much into it, but I always felt like Prize held out hopes, things that would, you know, return to normal and they keep creating as a trio. Uh, but the way he speaks about the carnival and miseducation, the impact both those albums had, he resigned himself to the fact Lauren and Wyclef didn't need the Fugees anymore at that point. You know, that's I feel that's why Ghetto Superstar came out because the way that those two albums went, the success they had, he realized there's no need for Wyclef and Lauren to create together anymore unless they want to, but it doesn't seem, and we already know that they, they don't really want to because they, they haven't in, in the future after this. So yeah, man, they didn't need each other and they didn't need Praz apart from his production and we focused heavily on Wyclef and Lauren's connection well they didn't like you know what I mean you know it's just Lauren doesn't pop up on a Praz album Lauren's not there so what do we say to that like anyway we get the album number 55 in the Billboard 200 low mid-tier reviews um not many reviews at all it did not generate a lot of press that I can find online in comparison to its contemporaries it might have generated a lot of like physical press at the time but you know, in comparison to other 1998 albums that have had tomes written about them, this is not that. Uh, Wyclef and Price produced it. Cannabis is on here, Left Eye, Mac 10, uh, Wyclef, of course, ODB, of course, Maya, you know, 
brilliant. And and the title track is a song everyone knows. Number it went number one in ten countries, top ten in eighteen countries, number fifteen on the Hot One Hundred, Grammy nominated. Uh, video had Halle Berry in it, Warren Beatty, Oliver Platt, Joshua Molina. Of course, Wyclef was in it as well. Uh, the video was so high budget. It picked up a bunch of Billboard and MTV nominations. It was huge. And, you know, the story is iconic. ODB obviously popped up in the studio unexpectedly. Pryor's told Vlad that ODB walked into the session by mistake, heard the beat, adored it, and Pryor's allowed him to deliver some vocals. Now, Pryor said ODB was so confused, he actually thought he was in New York at his own recording session when somehow he was in California in Pryor's recording session and Praz was pretty upset at this. He was pretty annoyed. He said he was trying to be as respectful as possible and allowed him to lay his vocals. But his intention was to get him out of the studio as quickly as possible um, and so that he could continue the song. He was like, go away. Like, I'm, I'm recording here. And, you know, ODB dropped and it was just so freaking good. Praz was like, well, I'm not deleting this. This is great. I'm definitely keeping this. And, you know, Meyer is the one who laced that track up and gave it something special, I think. I think a lot of people point to ODB and say that he's the reason that song is massive, and I'll talk about that in a second. But Meyer's hook is the one. That pushed it over the top. That turned it into a massive crossover hit. And, you know, at this point, Meyer was gearing up to drop her own solo debut album. She already had an epic hit with Cisco on All About Me, which charted number six on the Hot 100, but she hadn't yet made the headway in the international market. Um, All About Me charted 13 in New Zealand and 76 in the Netherlands, but she was still a, new, a US artist at this point. And Praz told Vlad he believed the song was always going to have Maya on it. The goal was to have her sing the hook, but she sees things a little differently. In an interview back in uh, 2018 in LA, she said this, Recording Ghetto Superstar, I did that in New York City. Wyclef was a producer, Praz was present, and Wyclef was there recording vocals. And it was such a quick session because it was a chorus. They had other girls singing as well, but they were testing more established artists out to see what they like because I'd just come out with one single. They were unsure if I would have any impact because I wasn't yet established yet. And it wasn't until ODB heard some of the other options, he says, well, who's that? He's responsible for my feature staying on the record. So if you think about ODB's impact on this track right here, I'm not, I'm not going to say the song wouldn't have succeeded without him, but before he mistakenly walked in the recording studio, they had no Maya on the hook. Uh, the video didn't have the star power and ODB's verse had yet to be added. After ODB wanders into the wrong studio, we come out with one of the greatest hip hop songs of all time. So, you know, it's, it's massive. And, you know, Vlad asked a question, which I think was probably on everyone's mind, but not many interviewers have the bravery to ask. I'm not saying Vlad's the most brave interviewer in the world, but he definitely asks the questions. You know, he, he doesn't seem to care. He just asks wild questions. He said, you find, he said to Prize, you finally had a solo hit on your own. How did that feel? And I think that's a harsh thing to ask Prize. Like, you finally had a solo hit on your own. Bro, he only just put his album out. The, the, the song came out in the middle of 98. Like, it's his first, first, pretty much his first foray into solo music, and it's a hit. Um, but he says, Praz says, he was simply there to work and to create. He didn't realize he created a hit in that moment. It wasn't until years later, reflecting upon its success, he can see how special that song is. I think the rest of the album is kind of hard to pin down. It's definitely a mix between the carnival and miseducation. And I think that's more a reflection of Praz's influence on his group members rather than him attempting to recreate their solo success. You know, uh, there's there's a few songs that could have lived on both those albums. Um, there's a bunch of tracks that dip into his alt rock influence. 
I think with very little success, I did not enjoy those. Certainly in contrast to Wyclef's rock forays in his solo career, there was a lot of pressure on this album from a quality standpoint. You know, it was going to be nigh on impossible for Praz to set himself apart in any meaningful way because the Fugees were so ubiquitous. Because Lauren and Wyclef were the showstoppers, you know, the voices that most people could identify and point out. And because Praz's production and musicality is all over the score, his hands were totally tied here, I feel. He could try something entirely different and set himself apart, but I feel like he hadn't defined another part yet like there was no other part he'd already given all of that to the fujis you know he'd given all of his musical and artistic ability to the fujis so he was just going to create an album that kind of sounded like a fujis album but without lauren and wyclef and that was going to be a hard sell uh, but i think he did well you know i think he did well um and it, it is listable i don't like it as much as his second album but um you know when i first listened to it I was like, oh, no, not enjoying this. But I've gone back to it, and I, I enjoy it. It's it's solid. I think if you if Praz was just a solo artist, no Fujis whatsoever, this would have been received a lot better, I reckon, this album. No, that's, that's perfectly, I guess, um, the meat of it. If, he was, if it wasn't compared to the other two, inevitably, um, it would be received much, uh, received much better. And, uh, yeah, man, that's just, I guess... A, a curse in some way um connecting to the blessing of like being in such a um in such a seminal group uh to have your solo work uh compared to the others and it just doesn't doesn't hit i mean you know you reference odb and you know we've been doing the woo series for a while and you know that's the case for a lot of the a lot of them right? <laughs> it's just like Oh, uh, you're not as good as this guy, this guy, and this guy. Okay, right. But is, do you like the project though? Like that's that's you know kind of the thing that people just seemingly can't get by. Um, but you know that's how people act, and it? it's just um, they can't help but be the compare, do the comparing, and it's going like, why are you not in the same group? But this album's trash. It's like okay, all right, cool, no worries. Yeah, I mean that's the way it is. It's just yeah, it's it is what it is. It is what it is. All right, we lose or draw. I'm very impressed that you said um, that you prefer this one. <laughs> I didn't expect you to just outright go ahead and say you prefer this one. Yeah, but I mean, look at the um, year it came out. That's why it's o five. Two thousand five, right in the pocket, right, right in there. Oh, right in the pop rap pocket. Oh my gosh. And it's true. Um, a lot of the, a, a lot of what I got here was just like that two thousands hip hop has an identity crisis kind of thing going on, where they just get a bunch of R and B artists to help them do stuff because R and B absolutely sick right now, and hip hop don't know what to do themselves after the dying embers of the bling era. And, uh, and also rap. gangster, I guess, yeah. and with um, with uh, Fifty Cent kind of being the last hurrah of that this that fifty era. Yeah, man. Um, it's it's just one. It's just one of those that album that kind of fits, and it's a perfect example of just where hip hop was at that point. Um, and obviously, you know, to give credit to Praz, he had that. Um, while the while majority of the album <coughs> is that, with the likes of Akon or Mr. Martin. Uh, Charlie McQueen on Haven't Found 
dreaming, uh, how it feels, friend or foe. You know, there's even with that said, there's you know some there's a bit of reggae fusion in here. Obviously, the most notable one being Dancehall with uh, Shadapal and uh, Spranger Benz. Oh, I adore that song. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Yeah, it's it's there's some there's some, there's some refreshing there's some refreshing uh notes throughout this album I feel. Um, you know, but uh, for me honestly I I didn't mind the I didn't mind the kind of uh uh pop rappy uh kind of doing R and B but I'm also rapping uh songs. I didn't mind those. They didn't they didn't go they, they went down pretty well for me personally. Um, I don't mind. It kind of reminded me of like um, uh, Fabulous doing that track with Ashani. I forget what the name of that track is, but you know stuff like that. It kind of reminds me of those um, those particular tracks. Oh, that's and, a banger uh, that yeah. song. Yeah, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a classic banger. That's a classic banger. But um, yeah, it kind of has a, kind of has a lot of those. Oh, yes, it's, it's fab man. Mid two thousands, fabulous is where it is at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was a lot of that in there was a lot of that in this one. That's kind of why I came out with it, and I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it. I'm I'm here for that kind of um when I you know regularly um uh, love to say the two thousands was fucking weird. Um, this is one of those positive elements where I'm just like you know. I, shit man like it was off the time it's off the time definitely like if i listen to this i'll be like yep this is definitely 05 um this screams 05 to me um a shout out to the chicago tribune uh what literally one paragraph review which i i find always weird like there's a lot of these places that just do them one two we paragraph used, reviews we used I'm to like, do that we used to, we used to well have just a website that did that like 50 word reviews yeah. or something it's just yeah 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 uh, yeah i guess that's the, that's the gimmick i guess yeah, it's but a gimmick. you know even actual just news organizations just not actually covering it properly it's just like well why cover it all but this is actually the whole 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 thing best known for being that other guy from the fugees Oof. Um, as well as for his lone solo hit go superstar Pras has proven to be a hip-hop non-entity. While Lauren Hill and Wyclef Jean moved on to successful solo careers, Pras has struggled to build an identity and name for himself. His latest offering won't change a thing, primarily because Pras keeps one foot in the party camp and one foot in the political arena. Neither is convincing. (laughs) Here's, Here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. The end of the one paragraph review... From Kurt, Wag- uh, Kurt Wagner and Chris Carnop of the uh, Chicago Tribune, wait a year and you'll see, and you'll be able to pick this one up in the ninety-nine cent bin. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> oh, outstanding! And that's the thing, right? This context, context is probably needed here, right? I listened to this, and I said this on Twitter. Bless the people. Bless these random YouTube accounts. With like two hundred followers that just post whole albums that aren't on streaming. Yeah, that big up yourselves. Appreciate you. That was that was yeah, that came in clutch. Big up yourselves, yeah. you random ass people. I don't know who just thought. You know what? I'm gonna post Praz's second album on YouTube. <laughs> Go for it. Big up yourself, right? Subscribers, you, like you, <laughs> you're, you're fulfilling a great service that streaming just isn't doesn't do sometimes, right? Um, but context is obviously needed on that front. That's not how it was in 2005. I wouldn't cop this album, okay? 
it's just is what it is. If you if you if you were like Ben and like many other people, where you had um, only enough pee to cop one album, uh, you know, every month or whatever, you're gonna make that decision very very uh, acutely. You are not using that to <laughs> to purchase Prowse's second album. Okay, you're just not. And that's and that's is what it is at that point. Okay, so I'm. I understand, and I feel like you know that that context is needed here. That's what the that's what the climate of listening to music and actually you know purchasing music was like. You know, sometimes you have to wait till something goes on discount, hits the ninety nine cent bin, as as the Chicago Tribune says. Okay, you might have to wait for that thing if you want to listen to it, but you just don't have to pee or you don't feel like it's worth it at that point, right? Fine, um, but you know, listening to it now. Relative for you know remotely free um of some random ass YouTube account that just posted it a few years ago. Um it's fine. It's 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 reasonably listenable. Um it's very um evocative of that era of that pop rappy identity crisis that hip hop was having uh two thousand and five right in the soft spot. And uh you know for what for for to give Pras credit um it has some at least some uh, relative variety um, that I feel uh, hip hop albums tried to do um, during that era, and depending on who it was, I think it was very artist dependent on if it worked or not. Um, I feel like it worked for Pras because of that. You know, the Chicago Tribune review says that you know it's very unconvincing to him have a to you know the pop rappy slash political stance. I, th- I think it works, especially with <laughs> Praz's, um, you know, uh, politically uh, charged backstory, um, f- uh, you know, from from him himself personally and his actions, but also just um, his environment as well. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm glad you liked it. I'm glad you liked it. I didn't know what to expect. You know, I, I put it on and I was like, this is probably going to be very poor. But when, when it started, I was like, eh. And then I just got. I was just not. I just. I was just listening to it, and I was like, I'm not offended by any of this. It's like it's relatively tame in in that sense, I guess. Yeah, I agree. I agree. There's no vinyl copies, unfortunately. It was never released on vinyl. I was actually oh, I'm look- not going that far. I was oh, actually no. looking. <laughs> I'll I'll go that. I'll go that far. I ain't going on Discogs for this. I'm sorry. I'm on Discogs page <laughs> right now. I'm on Discogs page <laughs> looking at the cassette version, thinking I might buy it on cassette. You know. <laughs> No, oh, shout out, shout out Paz on this. So it was released under Universal in 2005. The album failed to chart anywhere, did not chart. And it had a solitary single, Haven't Found, which weirdly charted in Australia, Finland and Belgium, but nowhere else. Uh, Praz and Wyclef are the only two producers listed. We get a skeleton feature list with uh, Wyclef, Sean Paul, Akon, Sprague Benz, and Charlotte McQueen on the single. Reviewed poorly by those who actually bothered to review it. Um, Praz places the blame for its poor response at the feet of the label. He told XXL in 2007, I think with win, lose, or draw, I can't shit on the label because that's what everyone does, so I'll just break it down to experience because experience in the end has taught me that I can't trust the label, meaning that I am responsible for putting out my own shit. Labels aren't in the business of developing artists anymore. Now it's like they're just adding to the buzz that you already have, but not adding to the creative aspect of you because they are greedy. That's why with win, lose, or draw, it sounded like it did. It sounded like it did because I had a bunch of people basically saying whatever I put out was hot, and after a while, you start to believe it. 
even if you know it ain't true. At that point, I was thinking, damn, if all these people are saying it's hot and a hit, maybe it is, and I ended up with an album that nobody felt. So I think the criticism and lack of acknowledgement of this album is, is a bit baffling because I think it's significantly more interesting and adaptive than his debut album. I find it to be more listenable. You know, Priors and Wyclef produced the entire tape and it sounded exactly like 2005. You would almost be forgiven for not identifying the Fuji's sound behind the album. And there are, you know, huge lows on this album. Basically, anytime Priors tries to break it down into an emotional place, um, but the, ha- the highs far outweigh them, for me anyway. Dancehall with Sean Paul and Sprague of Benz, that's a hit, man. Never charted, but that's a fucking hit. I love that song. Mr. Martin with Akon, I really enjoyed. Ghetto Politics, Friend of Foe. These are brilliant songs. Angels Sing with Wyclef Jean, super chill, super chill. And it shows to me how much more exciting Praz's vocals are next to a Fuji's member. You know, I think he's so different to Wyclef that he sounds brilliant on Wyclef songs because he gives some, you know, a different angle. But he's also very similar to Lauren in flow and vocal tone when he raps. And so they actually have great chemistry. You know, they combine beautifully. And I didn't really think about the fact that I'm not really feeling Praz's vocals and why until I heard him on this track with Wyclef Jean. And I'm like, oh shit, that's exactly why. Because he sounds so good next to them, but by himself, it's just he's yeah, he's just, missing, like just missing one thing. And, you know, th- that was kind of it for for Praz music-wise until his Wave Culture EP in 2018 with Zoe Dollars and Young M.A. That is a tough listen. You know, I don't often say it on this pod, but I struggled to get through that. Uh, it was just, <laughs> bro, it was Praz on a bunch of generic 2018 beats. It was ho- It was not a good... It was not a good listen, and his focus went towards his film career and then something entirely different. I'll talk about his film career first. Um, he said that during a competitive game of Scrabble... Really, t- really teeing this up, ain't you? <laughs> just slow playing. Super slow playing. Oh, slow playing. Gotta make you earn this, guys. Now we've got we'll the, go film the film career. People are The film career? Shut the fuck up. I don't care. But the oh, film career. So um, when yep. he was he was playing Scrabble and uh, his friend said that they should do a documentary on Skid Row in LA. Now, his friend didn't bring the idea up again for a few months, but it was after a failed Fuji's reunion that he actually committed to the project. So Skid Row is a documentary he created about the homeless in, uh, I think it was 2005, 2006, 2007. And he told XXL back when it was released Obviously, homelessness is not sexy, it's embarrassing, and a lot of people think all homeless people are lazy or on drugs. But sometimes it boils down to lack of support and family. When I was out there on Skid Row, I saw a lot of bugged out things. I saw fiends on heroin having fits and people fighting over things that, to us, seem unimportant. But to them, it meant being warm or eating for the night. I was interested in doing this project because a lot of people don't realize how close we are to living in that type of situation. I mean, 7 out of 10 Americans are one paycheck away from being in poverty or homelessness. So I felt this is the best way to show my community what this is all about. So in the documentary, Praz poses as a homeless man for nine days in order to understand the experience and present it. He told Kendra Say in 2008, I realized that had so much in common with the homeless. We all do, and it can happen to anyone. Now, Praz was actually sued by three people who appeared in the film, um, I can't actually see what came of that, uh, whether they uh, were successful in that. It could have just been settled. And, you know, from here, I guess Praz was expecting that to be the thing that leapfrogged him to the next level. But it actually, he went backwards in terms of his film career. Uh, it was a bunch of smaller films and shows, none of which were developed into anything intense or major. He continued to work as a producer and actor up to 2015, but the roles in movies just became smaller and smaller. And then... 
I mean, the undercurrent to all of this is obviously what's happening right now. So just a few weeks ago, Prowse was found guilty on 10 charges relating to political conspiracy. He's now currently at this very moment facing up to 20 years in prison. And he's found guilty, by the way. He will, he, he will appeal, he said. But this is the, we're not like talking about an impending case. He's been found guilty on, on the charges. Um, and they include conspiracy to defraud the United States, witness tampering, and acting as an unregistered agent of a foreign government. So those aren't loitering or petty theft. You know, the wildest thing <laughs> in the world is this, all right? And this is the wildest story from this whole thing. And, you know, I'll talk about because there's the legendary Rolling Stone article, which was penned by uh, Michael Ames. Praz was interviewed extensively for this. And if you want to go read about it and read about this story in minute detail, that's where to go. And Praz said, I used to think getting into politics was a way to help people. When you think about it, what the fuck do I really need to be in politics for? There's no reason. My life is great if it's not to try to help people. So in, in 2018, and this is craziest part of the story, I think. In 2018, the US government seized $74 million dollars from four separate bank accounts owned by Praz. And in May 2019, he was indicted on four criminal charges relating to illegal contributions to Obama's 2012 presidential campaign. Now, at this point, in 2019, in May, he was offered a deal. The deal was, if you plead guilty, we'll give you back a small amount of the money seized and just forget the whole thing ever happened. Move on with your life. Innocent or guilty, whatever, doesn't matter. Immunity, not being prosecuted. Go do something else with your life. Praz rejected the offer. He rejected the offer. He believed he was innocent. And then he endured four years of anxiety culminating in this guilty verdict. And in the Rolling Stone article I just mentioned, which was published a few months before this verdict, Ames wrote, were Praz to be found guilty in all counts, he could go away for 22 years. Unlikely, but not impossible. So when the article was written, he hadn't been found guilty yet. And it's kind of written in that like, this seems a bit like I think this is a bit silly and this is probably not gonna he's probably not gonna be found guilty. But he was. And you know, the timeline of these troubles begin way back in the mid two thousands because after Skid Row released and his failed second album, Praz felt like he needed a break from music and movies. So he left LA and went back to New York and he started, you know, just chilling out, resting. And what followed is a very weird tale. If you want to know the full story, go to the Rolling Stone article because it's this is far too complex and slightly a little bit too scary for me to really go in depth about it on here because I don't want to, you know, I'm, I don't want to act as a foreign agent either. I don't know what I can say and what I can't say. But this section here is relevant. It says, all of the, which brings us back to the basic question, over the decade covered by the government's investigation, what drove Praz? Was he acting as a knowing criminal who intentionally broke campaign finance laws, intentionally didn't register for FARA, and voluntarily acted as a Chinese agent? Was he an artist lured by Lowe's money into situations he did not fully understand? When the stakes were their highest, for what and for whom did he advocate? Now, some corners have accused him of trying to recreate his financial heyday in the 90s, you know, cars, watches, apartments, jet setting. Price said this in his own defense. He said, what benefit would I get trying to break laws? It's not worth it to me. I'm like a pariah now. I've got friends who won't talk to me because they think there's a satellite in the orbit listening to them. And I think it's one of the most bizarre stories in hip hop history, genuinely. So basically, just to, to completely sum it up, he's accused of taking, funneling money from somewhere into Obama's campaign, and he shouldn't have been doing that. That's the simplest way 
to explain it. And when you read the article, it doesn't actually, I don't come away from it thinking Praz is guilty or innocent. It's kind of like, I don't know what to think. And that's the thing. I, I don't think we'll ever fully know the truth about this. But, you know, it's, it's such an intense story. I, th- I genuinely think it's one of the craziest stories in, in hip-hop history. Oh, no, definitely. I feel uh, we, we joked uh, before we, before we uh, came on um, that, you know, we have the running joke since the uh, Black Eyed Peas episode that, yeah. you know, Will I Am got Obama to the office. We all know that. That's a known fact, right? Um, and uh, meanwhile, it was just like, you know, Jay-Z and Diddy doing the small shit of just like, you know, gassing them up at uh, certain, yeah. uh, you know, rallies and stuff. The small stuff. But here's Praz doing the proper work, funneling money into the campaign of Obama's second term, that's real support right there. Um, but you know, in all uh, <laughs> in all seriousness, um, it is superbly just fascinating. And uh, I don't know who has the rights uh, to do the docu series five years down the line. Um, by fucking hope, prize is in it, and uh, I cannot wait to give that a spin because this whole I remember talking about the one MDB scandal uh, initially when it dropped, um, and there was like I think a minute mention of Praz um, amongst obviously other names. But that's the thing; like, it's huh? almost like Praz has been like the scapegoat for the entire thing. Like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, of course, right? Because yeah. what the fuck do people know about Joe Low? Yeah. Like, no American anything cares about Joe Low. Yeah. Um, nobody's going to give a fuck about a scandal that happened in Malaysia um, about uh, embezzled funds and all this stuff, right? Nobody's nobody's going to care. But, you know, Praz being a member of the Fuji's historically has just that, just that little bit of relevance, just that little bit of historical relevance to whatever American culture is that people just, um, you know, just um, basically... Uh, put their hooks into that and go off there. They use him as a jumping pad, if anything, and it's just a, uh, it's just a bit odd. Um, whereas, you know, I feel like if someone did a, a full-on profile on Joe Low, there will be much more juicy information. I mean, even in this particular prize, um, prize long read that you you've been mentioning from the Roller Stone, there's plenty of, uh, there's a whole big ass section where Praz isn't even mentioned anymore and it yeah. just goes straight to Joe Lowe yeah. and just kind of uh, dips into what the one DB scandal is and um, I mean there's a fucking picture of, <laughs> of Joe Lowe <laughs> with, with Barack and Michelle Obama at some sort of, well, I'm assuming it's a Christmas engagement it's just it's absolutely hilarious in, in a lot of ways but fuck man this is cra- this is a cr- this is one of those like crime movies. It's like watching American Gangster, right? It's just absolutely. It's one of those where you just ha- having this chubby Malaysian dude. I'm assuming he's Malaysian. I don't. I don't know if he is, but I'm, I'm, it's this chubby Asian dude who's just like bathing in, you know, taking pictures with presidents and, uh, you know, just gassing up press for whatever reason. And oh, well, hang on, hang on. Here's a paragraph. That year, with his prestige growing in, in American's financial, entertainment, and political power centers, there was almost nothing Lowe couldn't do. Days before the 2012 election, he threw himself an epic 31st birthday party in Vegas, an event that even for Lowe, 
even for Vegas, was over the top. There were performances by Kanye, Busta Rhymes, Q-Tip, Pharrell, and a South Korean pop star Psy. This guy's got great <laughs> freaking taste in music, the by the way. That is banger, banger, banger <laughs> taste. Thank you. Please say, like... Gangnam Style. I want to hear Gangnam Style live with Buster Rhymes next to him on stage. That's a wild gig. Did Gangnam Style come out? Came out around that time, right? So, So, yeah, yeah, it was around that time. So, is is Sai like the last person that comes out? (laughs) What's the bill? How are you billing that up? You know what I mean? That's just a crazy billing. I'm wondering who goes first. Who's the support actor? Who's the headliner? (laughs) Badness, man. He got he paid Britney oh. Spears a million dollars to sing him Happy Birthday. Now that oh is wild. That's the greatest thing ever. Bruv, he's living it, living it, swimming in yeah, it. He's got it's taste. Absolutely crazy, bro. Like that. That's some. That's some. I mean, there's a bit where, um, and we, I, th- I think we joked about this before as well. Um, where he called him. Uh, it says he's referenced as. Um, Asian Great Gatsby, and we're ju- and we were just wondering. I hope he didn't name himself that, and someone just named him it because you can't name yourself that geese. But fucking hell, if this ain't some Wolf of Wall Street type shit, um, and I think that's what one of a lot of the articles when I um initially heard about the one MDB scandal was actually being, you know, kind of like this is basically a Wolf of, Wolf of Wall Street kind of scandal. Um, but again, coming back to Praz. He's just a little bit, he's a bit player in this in, in a lot of ways. And, you know, obviously this is a Praz episode, so we're talking about Praz in terms of his music. But in terms of this, I think he's really, I would, you know, no, I'm, I'm not, not like I'm a legal mind or anything, but he just seems like a bit part player in this. And uh, I feel like that's probably ha- why the um, why the long read and uh, even, even recent... Uh, uh, recent quotes by him um, saying uh, him talking about uh, is is he suing people? He's suing like Kyrie Irving for something. Is he? Oh, gosh. I, I, I saw know. I saw that recently. I just want to reconfirm. Um, but yeah, even in recent uh, re- recent news new, news stories. Okay, here we go. Pras says he was never a FBI or CIA informant. Uh, quote: This is not a Takashi Six Nine situation. And uh, Kyrie and he's suing Kyrie Irving and Fifty Cent. Uh, for defamation so you know yeah again found guilty whatever will happen will happen in terms of his future um but it's so it's so fascinating that um people have just kind of like stuck their stuck their hooks into pras instead of you know the actual story itself which as crime stories go is fucking entertaining and fucking fascinating to think about so at least we have that but um yeah man um, I have I have no idea what's going to happen to Praz. Uh, I'm not even going to go ahead and, and, and take a guess or, or you know take a prediction. I have no idea. Um, he's he's you know he claims innocence on a lot of it, um, but shit, man, it's not it's not looking good for brother. It's not looking good. Yeah, I mean he's I mean he's just he's been he's been found guilty. So you know I don't know there's no deals to be made at this point. So I don't know what's going to yeah. happen. But yeah, it's it's, but, a, it's a wild story to be honest. But, you know, to finish off, I do feel like you guys need to kind of have this moment of uh, looking back at his music and actually, you know, taking the um, Fuji's comparison glasses off and actually spinning the music and actually finding out, huh, Praz isn't actually bad a musician. Uh, Because I feel like, 
before I got, you know, before we got into this episode and for years, I've always had this, uh, just the, just the distaste for people that don't like Praz is just so weird to me. I'm just like, okay, he's not the best, he's, he, you know, he's the third best member of a decent, of a re- decent, of, of a top tier fucking hip hop group. Okay, we get it. Like, I don't, I don't get why people take that step further to say he's trash. Um, he ain't pinned the tail on the donkey, right? It's, it's. I mean, so what are we what are we doing here? Um, so yeah, hopefully people can um, actually. I don't know why they would <laughs> do what we're doing and just going back to listen to his music at this point now that he might may or may not go to jail. Um, but I feel like it's worth at least a little bit to just have a little um, have a little come to ho- come to come to home moment, come home moment of just like. Pras ain't that bad, okay? He's he's good. He's he's okay. He has some decent taste. Um, he's had some obviously a uh, hand in a lot of good things. Uh, when it comes to the music, and his pro- his solo projects ain't bad. Are they miseducation level? No, but what is literally what else is? So yeah, let's let's stop with that over over bearing comparison. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, it is. It's an interesting story. It's a very very interesting story. I mean, how do you even break out from? Being in the Fuji's like that is, yeah. Yep. Uh. Yep. And uh, if anyone's writing the um, Asian Great Gatsby film, I got you. Uh, my num- my numbers in the- my emails in the description. Um. All right. Let's over to a lighter note. Um. I have three quick things to throw out there. Okay. Um. Just uh, for things that have happened over the over the week. Uh. Firstly, shout out to Rap Caviar for the uh, prime uh Twitter bait. Of uh, listing fifty of the best hip hop beats, uh, 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 um, that was ridiculous. <laughs> of just uh, outstanding, uh, just uh, yeah, it just why? Bo- I know why they do it. Just but seriously, how are you gonna have stop, grinding please. but not tipsy? Come on now, everybody in the club <laughs> getting tipsy. Okay, so. I know. Um, I think it was Facial Driver. That's what you sent me. That basically. Made yeah, that was not. Basically, said they're the same beat, right? They're not. Um, d- does it does grinding actually take from, uh, Queen's "We Will Rock You"? Because I literally saw off a, um, shout out to Tracklib who do great, um, who do great stuff on IG, um, and they do these like you know them sample things, uh, and little sample videos where they like actually have the wavelength of the of the song, and then they cut it out, and then they. And then they actually show how it's trimmed and stuff. It's actually visually very pleasing. And they did Jaquan's tipsy. And, it, and literally, the only thing that beat has is literally just the boom, boom, tsh from uh, We Will Rock You by Queen. And they literally just took that. That's literally it. Boom, tsh, boom, tsh, boom, tsh, boom, tsh. That's literally it. That's literally We Will Rock You. So I was wondering, That's genuinely, not. if clips did that as well they didn't apparently because if they're taken from the same sample then sure it's you know basically the same thing but that kind of um that kind of uh you know uh bolsters my argument that uh grinding is an overrated beat um but what else is that's neither here nor there what where is that list (laughs) billboard what was it billboard it was rap caviar rap caviar Caviar. oh gosh yeah go 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 uh go have a quick look in the uh as i give the other two um secondly shout out to janelle monet Need I say more? Oh, <laughs> I was wondering if you'd mention that. Mm mm I didn't watch it, and but I did. I did read the headline. Why? <laughs> why not? 
I wasn't at the ga- Bev, gig. Bev, it wasn't. Bev was like, Bev, Bev was that dude on the video. Uh, Bev was that dude uh, just on the video going like, "What was that quote about temptation that you said on the service?" Is this is <laughs> not. Nope. Um, no temptation for me. <laughs> she definitely. Um, yeah. Goddamn. I wasn't. Goddamn. Wasn't at the uh, show. Oh, gee, yeah. Boy, boy, that was an interesting 24 hours. That was a very interesting 24 hours. And I just want to say, I just want to say, right, because I feel like, um, yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot of straight dudes that are clearly, you know, just um, clocking on to Janelle, right, for obvious reasons, right, now that she's showing some <laughs> skin, let's just say. Um, you know, just because, just because I'm commenting on it doesn't mean I wasn't aware of Janelle Monet. okay? I've, we, we've been aware of Janelle Monet here in the ITD, okay? We have been aware. We have been spinning the stuff, okay? Uh, did a whole freaking episode time. on the Arch we, Android. We did. We did a, yeah, we did a thing on um, Arch Android, right? It was very enjoyable. Um, I think I came into her once. Uh, honestly, I came into her after Moonlight. I watched Moonlight and I was like, Janelle Monet, I've heard of her before, but I never listened to her stuff. And then Dirty Computer came out, Dirty and then Computer I gave that a spin. Brain. I was like, "Oh, this is cool." I put Django Jane on my uh, uh, top songs of that. Song, yeah, put that on my top songs list of that year. Absolute heater, and I've been a fan ever since, right? Um, and you know, I can understand where you know the where where the gays and where the where the uh, LGBTQ community have uh, you know kind of held Janelle very tightly. Um, for obvious reasons of her advocacy and how and what she actually says on her music, right? She's, you know, been been saying that kind of stuff um, in her music. And now that she's shown a bit of skin, you know, they're getting a bit, you know, sensitive towards the fact that, you know, the straight dudes are suddenly going, awooga, awooga, and, you know, smacking their heads uh, with, with their hammer, big clubs. Um, in, dunk, yeah, their eyes popping out yeah. like it's a fucking Looney Tunes cartoon, right? I get it, I get it, but just I'm just putting my I'm just separating myself here because I'm not them dudes, right? I may be thirsting, but I'm I'm still I still rate the music, right? The music's decent. Um, I'm here for that, okay? And I'm gonna I'm gonna be there when that arm drops. Do don't you? Worry. Charlie's paying his own bail right now. Is is that the is that the? I'm, I have to. I his have bail. to because I feel like I feel like a lot of people are just like you know getting a the straight dudes and rightly so right it's clear that people just the dudes just saw her you know not wearing suits anymore and they're like hello where did this come from and it's like ah, she's been fine bruv but she just didn't wear the she just didn't wear the kit that you fuck with like, that is what it is right um but i like the music first okay i like the music first i discovered she was fine afterwards <laughs> but just just know that chief just know that just know that um, and now that I've said that, I've completely gotten the third point I wanted to <laughs> Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Uh, I, I don't know if it was sport-related. Um, I mean, shit. Might, might, might as well, while, while we're here. Shout out to the Chelsea women. Just won the FA Cup today, um, as I record. Um, really good match. Shout really that good, out. Uh, uh, really good, really good, really good game. Shout out to Sam Kerr. Absolute G. Um, and also um, a minor shout out to Maurizio Pochettino, who's now, um, well, basically at this point, Chelsea manager, um, which mm. I have no, it doesn't move my needle, to be fair. Um, I'm trying to be convinced. I'm waiting to be convinced. Um, but here we are. And uh, I don't think <laughs> and, it's the right, uh, yeah. I don't think it's the right way to go. I think that, I think 
with that with that lineup with that that bench, it's not Pochettino you need. You need a big time manager. You need Ancelotti or someone like that. It's not. Hey man, I I just. I just saw I just saw other names and I was like that would be cool and then they give me Pochettino and I'm just like okay um don't know what <laughs> gonna need a bit of convincing on that one um so uh yeah but you know I'm sure he will do his things we'll see what happens on that front um but yeah not exactly uh jumping jumping out the window enjoy about that yes yeah, well um, but yeah is, man. but yeah. Anything for your lineup, Ben? Nah, I think that's it. I think uh, I think we, we covered it. We talked about everything, and we did it. You know, we did well. And now we've got oh, I got it. I remember the third thing. Shout out to Kevin on stage, um, oh. comedian, um, who did the work. A um, little bit. Of it wasn't hard work though, was it? Side. He just went on LinkedIn. <laughs> I know. I'm. 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 I'm being. I'm being obviously. You know, a little bit sarcastic on that front. But it, I'm glad he put the information out there. Yes. On his particular platform, which is which has a reasonable size. I'm glad he did it because um, obviously Jamie Fox has uh, been uh, hospitalized for a while. Um, but as it turns out. Um, he's actually been uh, home and is recovering from whatever happened um, for the past few weeks. Um, but obviously, you know, um, our our uh, good friends at uh, Rap TV, friends of the uh, show, at, uh, friends of the show, <laughs> friends of the show um, at Rap, um, were posting um, that he was worse for wear and stuff like that, and then proceeded to uh, pedal back. Um, once everyone called them out on it, um, and Kev on stage, um, you know, did the, uh, albeit minor work, but important work mm-hmm. of, um, just stating that, um, all of these media outlets that you guys are aware of, um, such as rap, and I'm sure a lot of the others, if you did the Googles about it, um, shout out to Daquan, I don't know if that still goes on as a meme page, um, but that one's basically owned by a corporation, um, even though it was started by a, uh, I think like a Canadian, uh, Afro-Canadian uh, kid called Dequan, and now it's just a corporation page, a uh, meme page. Um, rap is basically just helmed by a bunch of white dudes. A lot of Caucasian. Strong <laughs> Caucasian. The you know basically you know they make fifty mil a year and shit like this, and they proceed to. Um, you know, suck the life out of the culture that we talk about ever so, or, you know, we've been talking about it for the past few weeks we did our anniversary episode, we've done it several times, beaten this particular subject to death in terms of what hip-hop media is and who the fuck these people are and why the fuck do you people keep uh, uh, investing in these, investing your time and your algorithm in these people um, and in these entities, you have no idea who the fuck they are um, and now you do when it comes to rap. If you've seen that video, I hope you have. Um, you know, just hope it's shared as, as as far and wide as possible. And hopefully, we can just get rid of these people somehow, or just starve them of this because these are not people that care about what they post. They just post and post and post, and that's the name of the game. As long as they keep doing that shit, they it doesn't matter about journalistic integrity. It doesn't matter about being correct. Is about being fast and often and feeding you and feeding you and feeding you, in the words of Method Man. Um, so, yeah. 
shout out to Kev on stage on that front. Um, I felt that was very valuable in just um a little, just a little um a little insight on you know how these uh social media companies actually operate. Who are these people that actually operate these pages? Mm. Um, and also why you shouldn't actually uh give the give any of these uh media companies uh the time of day. I agree. I agree. I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. I can't engage in it. I can't because it's too much. So I just, it's, an, yeah, it's sad. It's just sad. I, just, I don't know what to say about it. I wish the world was a different yeah, bro, place. When I, when, I, when I saw how much they were making, I was just like, oh, well, okay. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, no, anyway. no shame. No shame whatsoever. Total, yeah, just zero, no, zero. not caring. You know, I mentioned when DMX was unwell and, one of these accounts posted that he'd passed away and he hadn't he had not passed away there was no information that existed as such it did not it was a, it was not true and instead of deleting the tweet and apologizing they quote tweeted their own tweet and said update dmx is a liar both those tweets went viral <laughs> that's the nastiest nastiest thing you could ever do and uh, you know a lot of the time i look at accounts like that and i feel a little bit you know i don't know what the right way to say it is but i feel like i haven't reached my full potential in terms of followers and engagement and then i realize i can't do the things that you need to do to get to that level i could never do that it's not who i am so it just i don't care and i'm not interested in i barely spend any time on social media anymore because it's just it's getting worse man it's just just, just getting worse you'd have to be a subterranean leech um to to actually get to that point i it's a it's a it's a soul, there's a soul selling element of it. Yes, um, or didn't have one to so, begin with element. Or didn't have one to begin with. Don't give a fuck um, about any of these people. And you know, not that I care about celebrities. You know, in in the overall sense, you know what I mean. They do okay, um, but you know, this is misinformation and disinformation. And uh, you know, if you don't know the difference, look it up. But the this is this is the issue here where. You know, uh, these social media accounts can literally just post whatever the fuck they like. Doesn't matter if it's wrong or not. And then feel free if they, you know, if they actually get want for once get concrete evidence, um, just quote tweet their shit, and they still get they they win either way. Um, they win twice. <laughs> they they win even though they should be there should be action taken on that front. I hope honestly, I hope like Jamie Fox or or anybody that just has the uh, has the ability to, or has the um, have the uh, the the platform to do so, um, and that can actually win. I hope these places get sued. Yeah, I, I really do, because um, that's crazy to just you know have the have this attitude of saying somebody's dead and then just you know going about going oh Tommy, update he's actually alive. Tommy, please like like comment and subscribe. It's just uh, it's just. Someone needs to be sued. It needs to go to some fucking Supreme Court or some shit. There needs to be some form of just law done on this shit because it's it's Wild West. It's Wild West attitude going on here where people could just type whatever the fuck they like. And, you know, not that I'm here for, uh, you know, uh, constricting internet laws. Um, But if you're a media company and you purport yourself as such, I feel like you should be... Uh, beholden to some form of journalistic integrity, um, which these places have none of. But you know, banter, right? So whatever. 
Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, rant over. I should have finished on Janelle Monet. I just realised. <laughs> <laughs> Probably should have finished on Janelle Monet. It's a bit, bit, bit of an up and bit of an up and down light like that one. Um, anyway. uh, go watch Janelle Monet and uh, spin her music. Um, anyway, ladies and gentlemen. On the fifth film podcast, though, this has been Digging Digits. Hope you've this episode. I'm trying to say the fifth film. We've been kind of got numbers. We hope you all have a good week. We should always try and do the same. I'm about to get some strawberries and cream. Until the next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. All right, peace. Digging Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show is Pizza Video Games by Bonus Points. Thanks to Chill Rock Music, Philippe Lee to use. Socials for the Phenomen, Hip Hop by Numbers, Bonus Points, Sound Chill Music will be in the full show notes as well as the names of projects reviewed wherever you're listening. This has been a 5 p.m. production. Thanks for spending time with us. We'll just see you next time on Digging in the Digits.